Hello, welcome to Football the Albion and three, the fortnightly panel podcast assessing how Brighton are getting on. And for this pod, we can be a bit more positive on the back of a win. Joining me this week is former Albion captain Gordon Greer and Brian Owen from the Argus as well. Thanks so much for your time, both of you. Uh, it's been a little while since you've been on the podcast. Gordon, how are you getting on? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. As you said, um, I'm better after uh, the good victory at the weekend. Um, so, no, all good. Can't complain. Yeah. Um, Brian, we bumped into each other just before the match at St Mary's. Um, yes. You did make the point as well that last time you were on, we'd just beaten Liverpool as well. <laughs> so, was, um, maybe we should just pre-book you a bit more often. Don't think it, yeah, I don't think it quite worked like that, but it is a nice coincidence because there have been some long weeks of um, wondering what's going to happen and what, what went wrong at the weekend and that balance of being critical and positive. So it's nice to be mm. sane, but more balanced towards positive, I guess. Mm. Okay, let's get stuck into it then. Um, so a 2-1 win at Southampton, more than one goal in a game as well. I mean, we're getting it all. Uh, look, it's, it's a big win, Gordon, isn't it? It's a huge one. Um, I'm actually really pleased for the for the manager and the players because they've been playing so well. They've been playing some great football and probably just not getting the results that the the performances deserved. Um, so on the weekend, ironically, um, they gave up a wee bit of possession, but um, they managed to get two goals. and And in the second half, you know, they thoroughly deserved the three points. And I thought they um, they seen the game out really well. Mm, we'll talk about the sort of tactical changes I think in just a moment um Brian how important do you think that is yeah I think I mean Gordon um, Brian Potter said afterwards that the confidence has always been there but this will reinforce it which I think was probably a fair point um and also to come back after again the Achilles heel of letting in an equaliser and um I think the emotions are heightened at this time of year and it was sort of very doom and gloom toward that half-time, even though the first half hadn't been that bad. But to go back and play as they did and look more like Brighton in that shape, obviously massive confidence and, and obviously a help of Fulham had that poor second half the previous evening. Yeah, I mean, um, Gordon, I want to touch on something that you sort of half mentioned really at the start there about Brighton did give up a bit of possession they changed things a bit tactically didn't they and and actually some of the times that some of Brighton's best wins have sort of come that way um I wonder whether this is something that we might see for the rest of the season just to sort of grind out a few more points yeah I'm, I'm not sure if it was um sort of worked on to give up possession you know the way Brighton play you know they they, they try and control a lot of games with the ball so I don't think it was so much Brighton changing the tactics to give up the ball. I think it was Southampton were quite good um, and they kept possession and sort of pinned us back. Um, but it's interesting because when you watch a lot of the games and you sort of analyse the games, you can sort of... Um, we don't miss loads of chances where we're running through 1v1 with the goalkeeper or we don't get loads of chances where you can really pin it on the striker and say he's got to score that. We do get chances for penalties, like obviously against West Brom and... I think Aaron Conley missed a sitter against West Brom as well, but there's not loads of chances where you can sort of totally criticise the uh, strikers. But I think that's because we're so patient and we're build up. You know, the the opposition can get set in a good defensive sort of unit, and it's hard to break that down. But um, sometimes when you give up the possession and you're playing more counter attack, there's more spaces for us as well. Which the second goal, there was spaces for us to sort of play in because um, it was a quick pass forward and then a and a great 
touch off the Welbeck and Tross Alves through in goal. Yeah, it's a, it was a, a brilliant goal. Um, I, I still wonder whether, I, I think I sort of felt that I, we sort of saw the experience, the value of experience there in that game against Southampton. I think that was, it felt like it was a bit better game management. Obviously, of the last few games, we've seen some late goals scored when it could have been a draw, at least, against Palace and against um, Leicester as well, for example. And it's been a bit morale sapping, hasn't it? But it looked, yeah. but I, I think the, did we see the importance actually of throughout the sort of spine of the team, actually, the benefit of having um, the experience of um, Adam Lalana and Danny Welbeck both fit. So obviously they've played in huge matches for club and country, but also obviously Lewis Dunk. So if you've got Lewis Dunk, Lalana, Welbeck, actually, does that sort of bring some calmness to the team and Joel Veltman as well, actually? Yeah, I was going to mention Belton, but because he hasn't come back into the team, he probably got a bit overlooked, whereas the term, including from our newspaper as well, whereas the two who've come back got a lot of the credit. But um, that pass from Beltman, because we were sitting there, I was just sitting there watching, I thought, oh, he's going to go back to Dunk, or he's going to go back to, to the keeper. And that sort of reverse pass into Adam Lallana to set up the winning goal, I thought that was, you know, really good awareness, a really sort of clever, a really clever pass. I mean, the possession thing, I know that there seems to be a theory growing that Brighton are better when they have less possession, but I just don't know if it's more that if you're winning the game, you're going to have less possession because the opposition are going to be pushing you back. I don't know if it's, if it's, that, if it's that straightforward. But, um, and equally with the game management, the, game, the ones they've won seem to be when they've been winning. Um, if they've been ahead and it's that when they're drawing. And, and I've heard like Steve Sidwell and um, Ian Wright, I think it was, saying if you're drawing just take the point don't push for the win and that's when they seem to have been caught between two stools when they've been level late in games and ended up with nothing mm. well, that's that's what I mean I think really I think um it felt I mean uh sitting I don't know what it was like actually if you're watching as a neutral whether it actually looked quite comfortable Bryson at the end but you know for, for me especially anyway especially reporting on it and trying to be neutral at the same time it's a bit nail-biting um but they just seem to hold out for that point for, for the three points quite well. Apart from, I do remember right at the end, there were two clearances where Pascal Gross just hoofed it right up in the air and then it fell to Lalana, who did exactly the same thing. And it was right at the end. It was really nervy. Um, but I just, Gordon, I want to know about what you, what you think about the value of experience because it is talked about a lot. It's just be able to handle those moments to see out the result that you're looking for. Yeah, I think um, I think you, you touched on it with the with the Leicester game in particular, where um, you know we sort of we were under the under pressure second half, and Leicester were probably the better team in the second half, and they were coming at us. So um, I thought maybe um, you know to make a change, a defensive change, would have been a good move. But you know, I think we go and we try and play the same way over the 90 minutes like this is the way we play we're attacking you know we keep the possession and sometimes um, when you are under the caution I feel like it's good to just have a bit more sort a solid sort of framework mm. um, and I thought the changes that the manager made at the weekend were really good um, I thought he sort of changed at the right time as well I thought Welbeck was really good at the weekend but I thought he was getting tired um, and he'd bring Welbeck off and bring Proper on was just showing up the midfield and as, as uh, Brian said you sort of give up possession because Southampton have got something to sort of they've got nothing to lose at that point um, so they're pushing forward but um, I think the experience is really crucial um, managing games and seeing games out and Lallana 
um, who's had a sort of up and down time through injury at Brighton. Um, was excellent at the weekend. He was by far, in my opinion, the best player. Um, I thought his control of the game, the way he looked forward with his passing was excellent. Um, and he'll be massive for us in the running, I think, if we can keep him fit and sort of get him on the ball as much as we can. He's a, he's a top, top player. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, he's two matches in a row, really, isn't it, Brian, for Alana in terms of the standout player? Um, it, it's going, yeah. to be, going to be crucial. Yeah, and, and very different because in the Leicester game, he was playing just off Neil Mope or Neil Mope playing just off him. And it was that little combination up further forward. And I can remember asking Graham Potter in his post-match Zoom, you know, is that something you're going to look at for the future? And he said, yeah, that could work well for us. But then in the week, he was suggesting that more of a midfield role because I think he said up front, he might get a bit more of a further forward, he might get a bit of a battering. It might be a bit more physical, um, physically punishing. And so he went into a very... Say so very different role, but but a different role, you know, further back. So it just shows the versatility and the options that he's got, which is quite key. Well, you know, a lot of the team players who Graham Potter likes can play different positions. I think if you so for once Albion didn't win the XG as we keep hearing. Um, you know, they're a bit of a. Um, well, Brighton are doing very well to show that statistics don't mean a lot in football um, this season, haven't they? Um, I, they were getting to a point where I think if you're a neutral, it's probably it was, the run was probably quite funny. If you were not, if you don't care about Brighton, you keep watching them play really well and they keep losing. Um, I just wonder whether Brighton have now turned a corner and they sort of showed a different way of, of a different side of themselves actually from that game. What do you think? I obviously feel for the players because mm. you're you're playing so well, you're dominant in games, and and the manager and the, everybody connected to the club. You know, you're doing so well, and as you say, the statistics are saying, oh, you're X amount in the league and expected goals is this. But um, if you can't turn the sort of stats into the, the results that you really want, then it's really frustrating. Um, I think credit goes to um, the manager for sort of sticking to his sort of beliefs and this is the way we play and this is the way we want to play and this is the way we can we can dominate games. And um, I think he's done really well. And, um, I've been really impressed with, this, with the team this year and um, I think uh, in, another sort of, uh, in another season, you know, they'll be up middle of the table, I would say, like given the performances that they've put on. You'd hope so. And I think by funny, I more mean the fact that it's got so ridiculous that, it's, uh, that it becomes a little bit almost like laughable for fans that wouldn't really care about what Brighton are doing because the, everyone can appreciate the fact that Brighton are, are playing incredibly well. Um, the whole season, really. And actually, that's exactly right, isn't it, Gordon? Um, the, the, the sticking to the process is really impressive. Um, and actually, it must be show some real management and man management skills from Graham Potter and his team that Brighton can keep on having these setbacks, these what look like morale sapping. How do you come back from this result? Every time, actually, over these last few games where they haven't been getting the results that they needed, they were still coming back playing really well every time. That it, that's a real strength of character, isn't it? Massive, massive for me. I mean, I think it would be easy for some of the younger players to go into their shell and, and not look to take the ball and not look to play forward, but not one of them have done that. I mean, even um, I'll use Robert Sanchez as an example. After the Leicester game, you know, he made a... Uh, a mistake, which happens to everybody, but unfortunately for goalkeepers, nine times out of ten it might result in a goal against. And 
he made a poor mistake, cost us a point at least, um, and he came back on the weekend and he's coming for crosses. Mm. That just shows the sort of belief that the managers instilled in the players and um, they all seem really confident uh, lads. So uh, I think that's got to come for the manager and the staff behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. And Robert Sanchez, Spain squad member. I mean, what an incredible um, rise for him. He was at Rochdale last season. Now he's in the Spain squad. He's only played like a handful of games for Brighton in the Premier League. That's extraordinary. Yeah. And people in Spain, because I, I deal quite a lot with um, Spanish media and people in mm. Spain don't know who he is. He's, I've had so many things. Like, there's been stories out there like, who is Robert Sanchez? Because he came at, <laughs> what, 16 years old. Um, he was asked, um, Luis Enrique was asked to compare him to a Spanish goalkeeper. Like, what's, what goalkeeper is he like? And Luis Enrique in his press conference said that uh, Robert Sanchez very much resembles, and you won't be surprised by this, very much resembles Robert Sanchez. And so he sort of, you know, don't, he's not another, he's don't compare him to another keeper or don't say he's another keeper. But I mean, early season, I thought we played in the League Cup. I remember using up my two questions to Graham Potter in the press conference before we played Portsmouth saying, tell us all about him and how's he going to do and that. And he didn't play. So you wonder then, don't you? But um, he's got all those attributes, strong, that presence, like you say, comes for the crosses, which I'm sure Gordon as a defender would love to see a keeper coming out in the last minute in front of the, the cop or somewhere and taking a cross. And he can play with his feet, which other, you know, is now really important. And I think Christian Walton, for example, isn't quite as good in that area. So um, it is a fantastic story. I don't, you couldn't have predicted it, but he, he seemed to take it quite, you know, almost matter of fact, quite, quite calmly. I don't know what he's like inside, but he comes across as, yeah, okay, this is the next challenge, get on with it. And he, he seems to be very unflappable. Have you come across him, Gordon, for your work at Brighton? I actually was still at Brighton as a player when Robert was uh, a kid there. Okay. Um, so I know Robert um, not not well, but I do know him. I, I watched him as a, a kid coming through. Um, he's always been a confident lad. Um, I think the key areas for Robert that he's really improved is cutting out like, sort of silly mistakes. Um and he's done amazing. Like he's got so athletic. Like nowadays, goalkeepers, as Brian touched on, like they need to be good with their feet. But Robert's so athletic. Like he's uh, he makes saves that other goalkeepers don't make. He comes for crosses that other goalkeepers don't. So you know, it does it does surprise me that he's made the Spain squad so quickly. But at the same time, um, he's been he's been excellent for us since he's been back in the team. And it, and it's a real high pressure situation. He's handled it remarkably. Yeah, well, so I mean, Robert Sanchez came to the club when he was only 15. So he came, I don't know how, how much English did he speak when he got here? Was he, was he genuinely very, very confident then when he got, when he got here? Because he always seems quite chilled out and relaxed as well. He's, he's very, I mean, he is a chilled out lad, but he was, I think he's, been, he's always been quite sure of himself. I think the problem, um, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but I think the problem was keeping his feet on the ground when he was a young player um, rather than sort of building them up. Whereas a lot of young players are unsure of themselves. They don't know if they've got a future in football. You know, they don't know where they're going to be. Um, Robert was always a really confident lad. But um, as I say, I think the problem was trying to keep his feet on the ground rather than sort of building them up. But he's done, he's done excellent. And even his loan spells at Rochdale and Forest Green where he's made sort of um, mistakes at, people can easily criticise him for it's not affected them which I think is a massive thing um, in football you know it's it's easy to handle the ups but it's not always easy to handle the downs and Robert sort of 
it's not affected. So mm. um, I'm sure he's going to have a, a real good career based on the fact that he's so, uh, well, he comes across mentally strong anyway. And I think Spain want to have a look at him as well, you know, firsthand. They said, uh, Luis Enrique was saying that they've seen what he's done in the Premier League in these sort of 14, 15 games. And they've gone back over, is it big data, I think they referred to, or going back to see what he's done in previous years. But they really want to have a look at him firsthand, get him in the, assuming, you know, travel is okay and he can go over there, um, get him in into the group for whatever it is, a week or 10 days. And um, and we've got an ex-international here. So he knows how important it is to see within that group and how much you then learn working with a player as part of the national setup rather than just seeing what they do with their club. How will he deal with the situation of linking up with some of those huge names in that Spain squad? Obviously, he still, you know, he still has some big names to play with at Brighton, but there's lots of, lots of players that he can look, that he maybe looked up to for years that are suddenly going to be his teammates. To be, to be honest, I don't know how he's going to... Uh, no, nobody really knows. To be, like, if I'm looking at it from Robert's perspective, you know, he's dealt with everything that's came his way in the Premier League and he's sort of dealt with everything that's came his way when he's been on loan in the lower leagues. Um, but it's a huge step up. Um, he's probably sort of idolised a few of those players that he's going to be in the same squad as. Um, and he might feel... You know, this might be a time where he comes across as, you know, it's just another game or it's just another last, but I'm sure inside he'll be feeling this is really important that I sort of step up to the plate and I show how good I can be because, um, you know, they'll, they'll, as Brian said, they'll be looking at him, but a lot of players, when they don't know some, they'll judge him. They'll be, mm-hmm. They want to test him, they want to shoot at goal and, oh, can he save this? Can he deal with this pass back? Can he deal with this? So they'll be testing him as well, which is really important that he steps up to the plate in that sense as well. It is a bit of a fresh-looking squad. I mean, there was uh, Pedri from Barcelona has been called in. There's two or three others, so he's he's not going to be the only one in a way. So that that'll be he's not the only sort of new boy in class. So that might be quite quite nice for him. Although he's coming from abroad, obviously he's not he's not as well known around the Spanish league. Um, it's a new goalkeeping coach who's replaced the one who was there for 17 years. So it has got a little bit of fresh feel to it as well. So I don't know if that helps that he's joining not on his own. So there is there is a sort of a feel of a new new chapter if that's not too strong a word within the squad and he said I before really, sorry. I think what's really important with all this is that um, sometimes you can get ex, uh, sort of put into a squad when you're not ready um, mm. you sort of can stand out that you know he's not he's not ready we'll have a look at him but he's nowhere near ready when you look at Robert he's got the attributes to be like a top top goalkeeper so I think whereas he might still not be like you know, mature enough to handle certain situations, he's ready. You know, he's proved that with Brighton in the Premier League. He's ready, so I don't, I don't worry about him whatsoever. I think he'll handle it. Um, I think he'll take it in his stride and he'll handle it really well. I think one of the things I quite like. Yes, sorry, one of the things I quite like yesterday, latching onto some Spanish radio and stuff to see what they said is that, for example, Radio Marco it then developed into chat about oh, how Brighton. They're down the table, but they're not. They're, they're doing playing better than they are. And a discussion about how Brighton were doing and what Graham Potter was doing. It was quite surreal to hear that on Spanish sports radio. That uh, Brighton and Hove Albion, this team that we used to go and watch with Dean against Rochdale or what have you, being discussed on marker radio because of this. You know, the projection of the club now is incredible. Really, he's going to learn a lot. He talked. I think he's talked before about that. David de Gea is one of his idols, so he's going to learn a lot training with him. Um, Brian, you do speak Spanish, don't you? I think is that right? Mm-hmm. You, you do listen, mm-hmm. so you're going to yeah. be pitching yourself out a bit over the next few weeks. Are you, are you going to be the uh, 
the the ex the, the Brighton Robert Sanchez expert popping up on Spanish uh, TV. Well, there's not many there's not many stuff to to do that anyway, so it probably comes down to me. But yeah, it has been ever since Vicente signed in 2011, not wanting to speak English. I think that, that has been quite a useful trade. So yeah, it was good yesterday, like I say, listening into the radio, um, listening to the press conference, and I had a little WhatsApp from uh, a, um, an oppo in a paper in Barcelona because I asked about a month ago. What about Robert, a reporter who follows Spain? What about Robert Sanchez? You hear anything about him being called up? And he, he'd never heard of him. He said, no, not heard that name. And he WhatsApp me yesterday morning. He said, yeah, your information was good. He's in the squad. He's going to be announced at 11.30. So uh, although I think Sanchez knew anyway. He'd, he'd already had a call from Luis Enrique. But um, yeah, no, that is, it's interesting though. And it's just a different aspect of, you know, covering this club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about Andy Zakiri very quickly. Um, he was um, a surprise to come off the bench at halftime against Southampton in that sort of left wing back role. Now, I don't know a lot about Andy Zakiri, but I do know that he's principally a striker, um, but he can play, can play wide. Really interesting that Graham Potter turns to Zakiri at halftime, wasn't it? Instead of Alzate, who, you know, I, I think that would have been the more natural or the, or the choice that would have been used over the last, in other games, he's played right wing back, left wing back. Were you really impressed, both of you, with how he played? No, Gordon. Alex, oh, sorry. Why don't you go, Brian? No, sorry. I was just going to say, um, he was more wing than back, wasn't he? If we're to be honest, he's got that sort of go forward sort of style, and um, I just thought this team as a sh- in the shape looked more comfortable, even though they didn't have the pieces that they wanted. And I think Pascal Gross as well. Fair play to him for for slotting into that right right spot but um, yeah but Alzati didn't really work that well did it in the last game was it Leicester mm. and Zakiri did give them something going forward so we have seen him play wide on the left but like I say he was more he was more attacking than defending but it just took a bit of working out didn't it I know you did Rich looking at your tweets oh it looks like Pascal Gross is playing right back I don't know what Gordon thought when he was trying to, trying to figure it out as well I think um, to be fair I mean I don't you don't want to criticise Alzati too much because he plays so many different positions oh, and he no, gives no. his all. But hmm. I think with the back three with Elton, Duncan, Ben White, um, you know, you've got a solid sort of platform there. You've obviously got Lalana and Basuma um, sort of in the middle of the park, um, who are both very good players. And Gross wasn't really attacking. Although he played sort of on the right hand side, he was more defensive than he did attack. So he hmm. we had a solid shape behind us. So I felt it was a good call because we needed some more legs. He's 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 energetic, he good energy, um, and he done. I thought he done really well. Mm. Um, I was quite impressed with him. I thought just having that energy and that positive. You know, some young players don't really they're not affected by the pressure. And it was like Andy just sort of stepped in and he tried to enjoy um, enjoy the the sort of position as much as he could. Uh, I was quite impressed late on actually when he got back and he headed one away for. Um, forget who was running in behind him, but he got he got back and he tracked the runner. I don't think that's his sort of strength, but fair play to him, he sort of he put on a good shift. Mm. He's got a rawness and an, yeah. an enthusiasm about him, hasn't he? Which I think is quite um which I think fans quite enjoy, even though you're only watching it from T V. But I think that's quite in his um yeah, I think it's something fans can identify with. Yeah, I I really agree with that. Um he looks yeah, he looks he looks an impressive talent, I think, Andy Sakiri. Because what do you think um Brian, Graham Potter will do if Dan, Dan Burns' injury is mm-hmm. um, 
going to keep him out for a little while. I mean, it might, it might not be that serious. It might keep him out for what one game against Newcastle and he's back after the international break. We don't, we don't really know, but who would he play in that role, either at left back or left wing back against Newcastle? Because you've got no Mikhail Kabovnik as well. He's, is he injured at the moment? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. No, he's just not been involved. I mean, we, Sort of getting to a point, though, actually, where there's a, a few too many injuries in defence, aren't we? They're all in the same area, aren't they? I was funny when, it, when Gordon was mentioning about Andy then, I was going to say, well, do you think I'll put him in from the start next week if Dan, can't, Dan Byrne can't play? Because Dan Byrne is just so useful in those... He fills different positions and he makes things happen. So I can see... If they haven't got Dan Byrne, I could see them playing Zakiri if he goes with that system, which is the shape they look so much more comfortable in. It's, it's, it's more on the right as well, I'm not sure. Do they give Karbovnik a go? That's where he's played. He's played on the right in the under-23s and in the Carabao Cup and he's, he's looks good going forward, not seeing all that much of him, not so reliable defensively. So is that the chance, to, the time to give him a go? Um, I'm really not sure. And then we've got Adam Webster, of course, who I haven't nailed down Graham Potter in any of my permitted you know, amount of questions because he said about he'll be back after the international break. And I think the assumption is easy to think, yeah, first game after the international break, but I'm not. I don't know if it will be. I don't know if it will be a game or two on. So they are a little bit short of defenders, aren't they? So we'll hear more about Dan Byrne on Thursday. But um, I think Zakiri may be down that side, but I don't know on the right. Not not totally sure. And, and there's always option for surprises with Graham Potter. I think it just depends uh, how positive he wants to go. Because um, you've got, obviously... Uh, I thought Gross was disciplined and he sort of sat in that sort of right wing-back slot and he defended quite well. He was tracking his runners and um, he never done as much. I know he missed the chance, but he never done loads going forward where you would sort of usually see him. Um, whereas Zakiri's maybe going to lack defensive nous and sort of positional play, but he'll give you a bit of energy and sort of uh, enthusiasm, as you said. So it just depends what the manager really fancies. I think it's a huge game for us and I think it's one that, um, you know, um, I'm not a manager, but I would be going all out to win that game. Um, because if we get the three points, then you're sort of, you're looking up again rather than looking sort of over your shoulder. Um, so I would, uh, I would uh, if I was in charge, I would definitely go positive and sort of give it a good go. We'll come to um, a bit more of a focus on Newcastle in just a, mi- uh, just a minute. It's good about Pascal Gross actually on the right, isn't it? Because he can, we've got the youthful, youthful enthusiasm of Zakiri on that, on that one side. With Gross, he can, yeah, he's not the fastest, but he will run and run and run and run and run. I think he's got some of the best running statistics in the Premier mm. League, hasn't he? Um, can we quickly chat about Yves Basuma. Um, it's interesting in the press box at the moment, obviously, you can, um, you can hear a lot of what's going on on the touchline, but you can also hear what's going on in the press box. So um, I was sitting next to some of the performance analysts and they weren't particularly happy with Yves Basuma playing the ball simple. I sort of thought like maybe he was um, maybe trying, pushing things a bit too hard. And I wonder whether what you two both think about whether there's been a slight drop off in form with Yves Basuma because he's had such an amazing season. He's been one of... You know, almost he's been one of the standout performers, hasn't he? And I mean, maybe over the last few games, maybe dropped off a little bit. And I think the sort of what I was getting from just listening, and I could be completely wrong because I'm not a performance analyst, um, but I think they're just maybe thinking that Basuma almost knows that he's not quite on it 100% at the moment. And maybe he's trying to force things a little bit too much. He's trying to play the, the pass, which wasn't really on when he could play it simple, which is basically what he's been doing amazingly well all season. What do you both think? 
don't know, Gordon. What, 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 I mean, all I can see is he's still being picked. He's in the team, isn't he, every week? So. It's still a solid six, six or seven out of ten, yeah. though, isn't it? So. Yeah. yeah. Some things you can forget um, how, how still how young he is mm-hmm. um, and how well he's been playing. Um, and everybody goes through ups and downs, you know, footballers. I was speaking about Robert and how it sort of not affected him and he sort of just. He, he made the mistake, but then he's coming for crosses the week after, which showed like, strength of character. Like, Eves, if he's if he's sort of not playing as well as what he knows he can do, and and I know that all eyes are on him as well, so he's like my so-called sort of best player, if you like, um, the most valuable player in the squad. Um, so he knows that all eyes are on him, so he's probably feeling a bit sort of he needs to step up to the plate and if it's not going his way he's maybe just struggling a wee bit with confidence and obviously as well the, the results can affect players in different ways and we've, as you said we've, we've lost these sort of last minute goals against Palace and Leicester to drop points and um, he might have took that worse than other players have taken it so um, I think uh, as long as he's giving his all and he's getting about the park and he's making tackles and he's trying you can see like his effort levels are still there then you know what you just can't criticise players for having off days because we all we all have them unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, and there's still a lot of faith being shown in saying that second half where it was him and Alana in midfield. He's you know still got a lot of managers' confidence, obviously. And I think like you said, it, it initially that was probably the problem with him. Wasn't he? he tried to do things that were too clever and too much and try those shots and try that little trick outside the box at Anfield. So where keeping it simple has probably been the strength for him this this season. We quickly talk about Lewis Dunk, fourth goal of the season um, against Southampton, um, which is uh, great to see as well because he had a little bit of a, a leaner spell the last few seasons. Um, it's good to see him up, uh, back amongst the goals again. Gordon, I, I want to ask you a bit about Lewis Dunk because a, a number of your former teammates have been on as well in, in the past and sort of when you talk about his development over the years and you know it's been extraordinary really and I think a lot of us would all say that he should have, he should have been in the England squad a lot more. Um, but did you think at the time he'd be the player that he is? Because again, a lot of your teammates maybe have hinted that but perhaps maybe the attitude wasn't quite 100% right right at the start of his career, but clearly something's changed over time. I think I, w- I was actually discussing uh, Duncan or so long ago and we're talking about players' development. Um, and when you look at Duncan now, um, he's, a, he's a strong lad. You know, he's always been quite tall. Um, but when you look back through the years, like, like everybody, you mature and you get, you know, uh, physically stronger. And uh, Donkey's really um, filled out. You know, you see him and he's a, he's a proper strong lad now. And um, I, I don't know how much that is genetics and how much is actually effort with Donkey because he was never one for being in the gym. But when I see Donkey play, like... Um, even when he was a younger player, you knew, you knew he had loads of talent, but as you, as you touched on, you, I wasn't sure if he would get to the levels he's talking about now because just purely because the type of person he was, he was quite laid back. Um, but now when you see Big Dunkey, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's a real threat in, both, like in the box. You know, both boxes, he's good at attacking the ball um, and he's, he's got undoubted talent and he's got the ball at his feet as well. So I'm really pleased for him. I think, as you said, he should be in the England squad, in my opinion. Um, and probably the thing that's held him back for being in England squad is probably um, the fact that he's playing for Brighton and sort of down near the bottom end of the, the Premier League. Mm. 
Yeah. His dad was a real powerhouse. I remember a midfield, a midfielder, but a, a big, big, powerful bloke. So perhaps there is some genetics to it. To so uh, double figures now in goals in the top flight. That's a very select band in Brighton's history. Is about um, about ten players or so. So and what ahead we were so far out. When I look back, you know, he was, he was penalty spot, if not a little bit further out than that. I don't know if he caught the keeper by surprise a little bit, but um. But you know, it doesn't have to be the strikers who score goals, does it? I remember a season when Gordon was there and Sammy Hippie was in charge. I think Lewis Dunk was top scorer for most of that season. So, so he's got it. He's got it in him. He's, he's, a, he's a huge threat at set players. I mean, I know he's got, as you say, he's got 10 goals, but you could, you, you, he could easily have double that. Mm, uh, the amount of yeah. times he gets, head, he gets his head on crosses, um, he does attack the ball really well. And he's a real threat for us. Yeah, uh, Lewis Dunk has got 20 league goals for Brighton now. Um, 15 of those have come as headers as well, which I, I don't know if that's not much of a surprise, I think, but <laughs> it uh, just shows his threat, doesn't it? Um, did you, only 15. Yeah. Um, did you ever, Gordon, see him as um, captain material? Um, to be honest with you, not really. Um, I think... Um, he was sort of like, uh, he's always been a really good footballer, but I didn't really see him as captain material, if I was being honest, when he was younger. Um, I thought there was other players that would probably sort of hang around, but obviously with Brighton going up the league, uh, the league, should I say, from the Championship to the Premier League, that sort of got rid of a few sort of younger players, maybe that weren't good enough to play in the Premier League, whereas Donkey's always had that talent. Um, but as he's got older, he's obviously developed that side of the game um, and the fact he's homegrown and all that as well and the Brighton fans can really relate to him because he's a local lad I think it's just really good for him to sort of step up and sort of be counted which he's doing now and you know his performances over the last few seasons have been have been excellent I've been really impressed with him mm. Here we are talking on Tuesday where a England squad would be named on Thursday when this is going out so you might have been listening to us and we see we've all got egg on our faces and Lewis Dunk has been handed a surprise call-up. Um, unfortunately, you don't think it's pro- probably not likely to happen. And, and, and the, the players that are being mentioned more about call-outs before he got injured, Adam Webster and, of course, Ben White as well. Um, Brian, do you think we've passed the point with Lewis Dunk about worrying where he, whether he's going to leave? Yeah, possibly. Possibly. It, um, it looks... There was a stage when it looked like they were actually signing these replacements a few years ago. I remember when Uber Hunemeyer and Conor Golson came in, that sort of time. I think I mean, it, it doesn't, he doesn't figure as the ones who are mentioned in the league now. So it's more likely people talk about Ben White, people talk about Tarek Lamptey, a lot of talk about that, Eve Basuma. But, um, I mean, you say the leadership things. Again, going back, I'm old enough to remember his dad playing around the local scenes and he was always a captain and then he was always manager. So, again, I mean, there are they're quite strong personalities, both of them. Um, and I think also, again, with that leadership, you, you, you go back to Adam Lallana as well and the, the role that he plays out there. So he's sort of, he's sort of not alone. But Lewis Dunk is now, he's almost become, you, you see him staying at Brighton, don't you, for the, for, the rest of his, probably for the rest of his career, I guess. I feel like I'm in that place now. Um, and, and maybe wasn't last summer before he signed the contract. Um, mm. Yeah, interesting one. Um, I wonder as well, Brian, do you, have you noticed a change in when, if you go back to the first time you ever interviewed Lewis, um, mm. and then have you noticed a change in almost like maturity through those years? Yeah, I mean, we don't talk to Lewis to, 
that often. But I mean, he was like a lot of young players in that he didn't really sort of know how to what. You know, he, he was fine. He was fine, but he, he didn't expand on answers and stuff like that. But I think it's more with Lewis. It seems to be more what you see, actions. I wouldn't say it's sort of what, what he's said or what you hear him shouting on the pitch. He seems to be very much that type of leader as well, that very much sort of lead by example type type captain. So um, that's the impression I get anyway. And Gordon, actually, uh, just about that, actually, when you watch Lewis play, he definitely seems to, he almost plays a little bit on the edge, doesn't he? One of those players that you say that he, um, he during the start of his career, actually, he did receive quite a few red cards, didn't he? And he and he he's a very passionate player who wears his heart on his sleeve. And maybe he's has he found that balance of reining that in right to the limit? Because you could you'll often see him right up in a referee's face to defend his players. When he's he's a in terms of a captain, he he does his job with the ref, doesn't he? I think it's so important that you sort of um I think you harness that. Um, I was the same. Like you, you're passionate. You want to win. You know he's a winner, um, and he's uh, you know he's doing whatever he can. But I think a lot of the times, especially when he's in the referee's face, if you like, it's because he feels like the decisions maybe been a poor decision or unjust, and you know he's trying to like, sort of make his point. But it's really frustrating when you're, you know, especially a club like Brighton who's playing so well at the moment, and you're sort of. You're in, the, you're right in amongst it. You're, in, you know, you're, you're down near the relegation zone. And for instance, the free kick against West Brom goes against you, and you just feel so angry that the referees made a decision that is so bad. But you know, there's nothing you can do about it. But you, you, you sort of try and sort of vent, if you like, and make your point known. Um, I don't know if it's a help or a hindrance, really, because you know, I was always on referees' backs and trying to give them sort of stick and all that and sometimes you think the, the decisions go against you because they just don't like you because you're always moaning at them um, but I think Donkey's got a good balance um, I really do I think you need you need a wee bit of an edge to you to, to sort of um, to, to succeed in the way that he's done over his career you need that edge and I would never take that away from him because I think it's really important what, what I are think that? now as well Sorry, so I think where Brighton are, you've got to have that balance because um, Lewis handled that pretty well. I thought the TV interviews afterwards at West Brom. <laughs> and if you go back a few years, if that had happened, if it was a bad decision in the championship, say when Gordon was with Brighton, there wouldn't be TV crews there. He wouldn't be interviewed as he came off the pitch. Um, the press officer at Brighton would bring out one or two players for us to talk to and it wouldn't be the player who'd been involved in a controversial incident. Um, and so you, you you wouldn't need to talk about it. And now he's coming off the pitch in front of a you know the national audience, and he's got to talk about it. So you've got to it must be really difficult actually quite soon after a match and try and be that that measured. And there's as you know, there's a line of TV cameras on the side of the pitch. You do one, then you do the next, then you do the next. So it, you know back back a few years ago, he wouldn't have needed to have that sort of. Um, and also one thing I look back at his red card. He says he's been sent off a few times. I think most were second yellows. And again, there's maybe a learning process there in um, when you've got a yellow, raise yourself in a bit. I, 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 don't, I don't know, but they weren't, they weren't sort of horror challenges and straight reds. Most were second yellows and you thought, did you need to make that second challenge? Um, I think it's really, he goes to, in the box, um, you know, Donkey goes to ground a lot and blocks shots and he gets a lot of plaudits yeah. for blocking shots and sliding in. And, and when you're doing that at times, you know, strikers are good players, especially in the Premier League and and you can get conned and sort of, you can get your second, you know, a straight red card for being the last man or um, a second yellow for bringing somebody down. But 
it's a strength and a sort of weakness, if you like, because he's so good at blocking shots and getting putting his body in the line, but at the same time, you run the risk of um, sort of mistiming a challenge and you, you could get sent off for that as well. I'm interested, Gordon, despite what you were saying about when you sort of talk to referees, just getting in the, the psychology of a captain. Um, in rugby, it's talked about a lot about how a captain will try and get a referee on side and you almost play the referee as well as the, the opposition. And rugby is a lot more te- technical in terms of a lot of times, a lot of the players that are playing don't even know what the rules are. I mean, that is a fact that a lot of, especially the forwards will say. Um, and New Zealand were incredible at it and they're always known for being really good at being on the, getting the referee on their side. Did you ever sort of go into matches or have certain referees where you kind of knew you had to maybe butter them up a little bit they needed a bit hey maybe had a bit some some of them had a bit more of an ego so you kind of had to play to that ego or were there other ones where they were you know they just it was straight you can never ever influence them did you sort of know which referee you had to you had to sort of <laughs> do different attitudes with i will see to be honest with you see what you're saying you would always try that that's just human nature so every time i met a referee before the game and you know i would be as nice as possible i'm a nice person um, you know, away from the football part, so I'd be as nice as possible, trying to sort of get in their good books, if you like, and make them feel that like I was a good person and a nice lad. Um, the the problem comes when, like, um, for instance, Brighton would be playing against a sort of so called uh, better better side with like bigger superstars, if you like. Um, I'll, I'll use an example now: what they'll go to Man United or Man City, where they're playing against like, sort of Aguero and you know, David Sullivan or Kevin De Bruyne and the referees are on first name terms with them whereas they don't speak to us in first name terms you know they're, they're, none of that's a foul or this so that used to really annoy me because it was like one rule for one one rule for another so even though you're trying to be like the bigger person on or I'll try and get them on side you know you can't bridge that gap that's human nature they want to be liked what's to me like they want to be liked by these sort of superstars as much as sort of uh, the young fans want to be like, so that used to annoy me. Um, so I would get to a point where I would be trying and trying, and then I would just say, nah, I'll go the other way and just try and put pressure on the referee, see if I get the decision that way. So it's, it's uh, just depends how the game goes, but you know, we would try everything. We'd try and be nice, we'd try and be nasty, um, we'd try and put pressure on the referee by crowding them for certain situations. That was especially, in particular, under Gus Poyet, we would crowd the referee. Um, <laughs> And it wasn't intentional. It was just that we were passionate about what we wanted to do and what and like we wanted the referee to know that he was in a game. So um, we tried to influence them as much as we can. But um, I think with cameras, VAR, and all that now, there's there's only so much sort of influence you can sort of affect the referee. But you know, you look at Donkey's free kick against West Brom when he's gave the free kick, then he's let he's let him he's asked them can I play it? Yeah, you can play it. He scored a goal, then he's blew the whistle, then he's gave the goal, then he's influenced by other people, then VAR take control. I mean, that's just a shambles. Mm. Shambles. You never want to get to a point where you, your build-up to the game or your focus ends up becoming too much about the referee. Obviously, you uh, want to control you, you, never, you never do that. But, uh, but I wonder whether you would get to it, you would ever have a conversation with the teammates and just say, yeah, this referee's not particularly on our side today. Let's let's put him under a bit of pressure. Does that happen? Well, 
Um, no, no, definitely. I mean, like, um, in the past, and, you know, you'll get referees that have maybe sent one of our players off or, you know, he's been really harsh on one of our players and he doesn't like like someone within the team because, that, again, it's human nature. I've seen the referee recently who got banned for a few games for um, confronting Alan Judge. Mm. Um, you know, he got in the face of Alan Judge. I mean, it's human nature that the referees can only take so much as well. So, you know, you didn't want to take it to a point where you were in the referee's face, like calling him all sorts of names or whatever, but at the same time, you wanted to make sure that every decision that was going to go, you know, your team was going to get the majority of them or, or maybe push the referee in favour of giving the decisions to you. Um, and that could be the home and the home advantage as well, that the crowd can get on the referee and, and that makes them make decisions based on like the, the noise levels, if you like. It's not so much now, but you definitely try and get as much advantage out of the referees as you could. Mm. I think fans remember as well, don't they, if a referee has uh, wronged or inverted commas wronged their team, and it doesn't matter how many solid games they have after that, there are certain names which are probably real off now for Brighton fans and the memories of uh, the foreboding when you see on that list of appointments. So um, I think these things do stick if there's a, you know, a one-second decision just can be remembered for years. Mm. I think Bobby Zamora on uh, social media has been quite outspoken about it. He's not a massive fan of... Uh, Mike Dean is he? <laughs> mm, I think we remember that in uh, May was it 2016? Yeah, yeah. And he's had some good games with Brighton since, but yeah. And mm. I, I find that I find that sort of thing really interesting. Uh, before we finish on um, looking ahead to Newcastle, Ryan, you, I mean, you follow Brighton. This is your this is your bread and butter. So, um, mm. in terms of the under 23s, who's impressing mm. under the radar at the moment? Well, he's not under the radar, but um, Moises Caicedo has had two good games already. I saw the first one on the stream, obviously. That was at home to Man City. And I thought, you know, he's, he's, he's been in training for a little bit. He's come off his close season. He's come from the other side of the world and from summer, let's see, 45 minutes. I was being encouraged to do a live report on a blow-by-blow account for our website, what he does. And I said, I'm not sure because we probably had 45 minutes run around, hardly touched the ball. And I was wrong because he played the full game. He was quite good in the first half, played a good part in the in the goal and became more and more um, influential as the match went on. And then apparently did something similar up at Man United, was it last week? So I didn't see that one. So he's the obvious one. And, and uh, obviously you talk about him, is he the next Basuma? It's probably a little bit too, too soon. Or the, not the next Basuma, but the player who comes into that gap. But he, I was surprised how much he did on his debut as a 19-year-old coming in from Ecuador and sort of taking over that team. Um, so he's an obvious one. Uh, but, but I don't know what the next step is, though, for other players. Is it then go to the Premier League or is it go to the Championship and play on loan or go abroad and play? Maybe Union Saint-Gilles and play on loan. But somebody like Teddy Jenks always um, catches the eye, sort of very influential midfielder. Um the goalkeeper as well, who was at um, who was at Worthing as well, made some, some decent saves. But um, Caicedo is the one who's ob- obvious, and you see the YouTube numbers go through the roof when he's playing for the under twenty three. So he's he's like the obvious one. Mm-hmm. You, Gordon, you work with the club um, in terms of scouting, and and you and you know a lot of the the, the players that are in in around Bryson. Have you heard? Um, much talk, excited talk about Casado, maybe, or any of the other players that are they're out on loan at the moment. Yeah, I think um, as I said, Brighton. Uh, I've got a good few young players that are out on loan uh, currently, and obviously they've signed Moses, who has come in. I think it's going to take 
um, Moses a, a bit of time to adjust to like the sort of uh, the Premier League sort and and being away from you know his home and you know he doesn't speak the language and you know I think it's a there's going to be like a, a time where we can sort of we need to give him so that he can adjust to the style of play as well. Mm. Um, as you said, Teddy's a player um, who I think the next step for him is to sort of get a loan move um, and sort of play in the league. Um, Jensen Weir is impressed as well. Mm. I think, again, the next step for these guys would be to get out and play in the league somewhere. Um, but the loan players, you know, you've got a few talented young loan players that are doing well as well, which, um, you know, like Leo Ostergaard playing at Coventry, um, Matt Clark at Derby. Um, so there's a good few players out there that are, that are sort of getting good minutes and getting good experience. And whether they'll come back and sort of affect the manager's plans, you know, no one knows. But, um, you know, there, there's a few good young players out there. Let's have a look at Sorry, go on, Brian. So I was just about to say, it feels like there's so much good for the future in store, which makes this so important that they, the present is right and it's so close to being the present being right as well. And I, I think that's what we're thinking now, get over this and there is so much to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's, let's look ahead to Newcastle. Um, it's uh, the proverbial six-pointer. Again, not a massive phrase with a six-pointer phrase, but uh, um, it's, it's, it's a massive game. It, but then Brighton would literally be six points clear of the relegation zone, actually, so maybe it is. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big one. We can't hide away from it. What do you guys think? Is it gonna? It was really comfortable win at the start of the season up at St. James's Park. Are we going to see something familiar? Oh, God. <laughs> I have to think about that. Go on, Gordon. I think um, I think Newcastle are a quite a strange team. When I, when I watch Newcastle, mm. they have they have like um, really poor performances where they get a lot of criticism for the pundits and they sort of the manager comes out and he defends them and um, then they go on a run where they win like a couple of games for nowhere and they win quite comfortably. So they've obviously got it in the locker to like go and win games. I think a huge miss for them is Callum Wilson, who's been, uh, he's a proven goal scorer in the Premier League. Um, and I think they have really missed him. But as far as the game's concerned, you know, it would be great if we had a repeat performance, uh, the away game where we won 3-0. And that was a really comfortable sort of, that was one of our best performances, if you like, mm-hmm. this season where we never looked in trouble whatsoever. Um, so it would be great to get another one of them. But, um, there's so much riding on the game for both clubs that I can imagine it's going to be a wee bit of a tense affair. Hmm. It was the only game where Brighton have gone two goals up, isn't it, sitting about since halfway through last season. So, I mean, that's one of the problems as well with this conceding these equalisers. Um, Brighton just looked to be a more modern team and Newcastle looked an old-fashioned team in sort of setups and tactics that day. It's, it was surprising that they're still next to each other if you based it on, that, on those performances. But... Um, I'm just sort of interested in, in the in the sort of psychology of this because um, thinking from the Newcastle point of view, you come to a team who's won one home game all season. From a fan's point of view and from a journalist's point of view, you're probably thinking, oh gosh, that's a foreboding. They've got to win at some time. This team, this Brighton team, you know, they've, they've got to win some game. I wonder from a player's point of view, players tend to be more confident, at least outwardly. So we, if you come in down to Brighton who've won once at home, do you think they're not very good at home? We should get something here. Or do you have that foreboding as well? No, well, I think um, based on the fact that Newcastle and Brighton are so tight in the table, I think this is a 
you know, if I was a Newcastle manager, if you like, I'd be putting all my us and we need to go there and we need to win this game. So likewise, I think um, for our point of view, for Brighton's point of view, like it's a huge game. I mean, if we, we're in a position now where, um, you know, we're a few points clear of the relegation zone, but Newcastle and Fulham are sort of our biggest rivals, if you like. Um, so the Newcastle game takes on a such a big importance that we, we get something for the game and it would be great if we won that game. If you win that game, as I say, you're looking back up the table rather than down. Um, but if uh, it won't be easy because Newcastle say they're, they're a strange side. They don't seem, as you said, Brian, they don't seem to have like, much about them as far as like, sort of tactics and whatnot and they get loads of criticism. But they go and win games uh, out of nowhere and they, they, they get important wins when they need to get important wins because they've got good experience in their squad. So, It'll be a really interesting game, actually. And, and, and I mean, and Fulham obviously play on Friday night. They play Leeds. So we'll know at that point what the situation is. And I mean, that just almost shows how massive this a win would be, wouldn't it? Let's say Fulham lose to Leeds. Impossible to tell what kind of Leeds turn up every week as well. So let's just, let's just hypothetically say Fulham lose to Leeds. Brighton then play and they go, you know, it's 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 just an incredible advantage, isn't it? With the with the game in hand, they'd also have as well over Fulham, potentially nine points clear, um, and it really would be between Newcastle and Fulham at that point. So, this is a, could be a massive point of the season for the relegation zone. Just this one game. No, it's a, it's a, I think it's a, when you looked at the fixtures. I mean, obviously, fans and sort of people in the, the media look at the fixtures and don't, and they say, "Oh, we've got." You know, Southampton away, Newcastle at home. If we get points for both of them, we'll be okay, type thing. But the one thing I would say about the Brighton team um, is no matter who you're playing against, whether it's home or away, I always feel that they've got a chance. Mm. You know, I don't look at the rest of the fixtures and think, oh, these are the two most important games. We need to get something for the games because I think we're always capable of going and beating anyone. I know that sounds so bizarre because you've got like some Man City and you know, they're cut above, but, you know, I've went to Liverpool on one. Um, I, wouldn't put them, I wouldn't put it past them going and beating, you know, a couple more teams high up the table because it suits us the way that they play. You know, the, the better the team is, the sort of, we raise our game and we sort of, we play well against the sort of better teams as well. So, um, it's a huge game, but I think it's more important that um, we keep the performances going as well because that's going to seize, it, seize through at the end of the season. But the results sort of bear, bear that out as well, don't they? Brighton's results against the lower teams. We've seen what Sheffield United come here with 10 men and get a point. West Brom, Fulham, and the results against the bottom teams aren't the bottom sort of six or so are not, are not that good. Southampton might be the lowest team they've actually beaten, I think. So, um, so it sort of bears out what, what Gordon says. Um, I think it's very easy to call every weekend massive when it comes. I'm probably sounding like Graham Potter here now. But every weekend seems massive at the time, and then the next one seems even more massive. Um, and it's still quite, a, you know, it's still quite a lot of games to go and points. But this would be huge if the two results went their way. Obviously, you look forward to the end of the season. You've got Newcastle and Fulham playing each other, so if you can be two points ahead of both of them, they can't both win on the last day. So um, it's going to be quite tense, isn't it? Um, even without the crowd, which increases that tension, it's a little bit. You're a little bit anaesthetised sitting in an empty stadium with no noise and no sort of positive or negative buzz around you but I think it will feel a little bit tense like the Southampton game did So what about I think that tension as well sorry Richard I think that tension I think the 
the manager, you know, Graham Potter, I think he sort of takes a lot of the pressure on himself and sort of the way that he speaks, it's it's like the, the players aren't under pressure. You know, mm-hmm. for, you know, he, he sticks to the game plan, like this is the way we play, this is what we're trying to achieve. You know, over the course of a season, if we keep doing the right things, we'll, we'll get to where we need to be. Um, whereas some managers put the pressure back on the players, so even though there's no fans in the stadium, you know, the manager projects the pressure on the players and that can tighten up players as well. Or, or it can go the other way and make the players sort of work a wee bit harder. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. Okay, so score prediction then for, for the both of you. What are you going to go for? Brian first. <laughs> since, since you're not a fan of answering these questions. I have predicted a couple of wins for Brighton this season, and it doesn't really work that way. I will <laughs> say a, um, I will say one all, and I sort of know what that means secretly. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to be more positive. To be honest with you, I'm going to say that Brighton are going to win two 0 Okay, I like that one. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to back a two 0 Look, both of you, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. That's it for this podcast for next week. Bobby Zamora will be my guest. Please do subscribe, share and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Thanks for listening.